I want to say that before I start, I have a I have a massive preface to this sermon, and I have a massive introduction that I want to go into because this topic has been so twisted and and manipulated and and undervalued as well. I think I've spent all week um, praying and and in the Word and also listening to to different sermons and different people's perspectives and then going back to the word and and just hearing from God and I think we have we have people so far on each end of the spectrum that we need to come back into the center we need to come back and really understand what is this topic I actually carry quite a heavy burden with this topic because not because I'm afraid to speak about finances but finances in the church is not for Jess and I and not for the house it's actually for the people so the reason I carry a burden is I, I want to communicate this properly to free us so that we can be freed in this area and can actually step into more of what God has for us. Is that okay? So I'm going to pray first and then I'm going to go into my super long intro and hopefully I can get the two points across that I want to get across today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you just come. Come and speak to us, Lord. Come and reveal your, plat- your pattern and your plan in this place. Jesus, we just want to live from the place that you want us to live from. God, we want to bring our lives into alignment with you. So I pray this morning, God, as I, as I speak the words you put on my heart, Lord, that, that everything that comes out of my mouth is from you. And if it isn't from you, Lord, I pray that it falls away. That it falls away to nothing, Lord. But the things that you want to plant in here this morning, I pray that they begin to just grow in our hearts and set us on fire, Lord, to see you radically change us in this place and radically change this city. We love you, Lord. We honor you, Jesus. Amen. Yeah. I'm going to explain that, but yes. Yes. Okay. The first note I have on the, the top of my list is we, the last four weeks we have been preaching our vision, what God's put on our heart, what God has, has, has laid us to, to bring to this house and for us as a house to go and steward and carry. And Jess and I, and I know a lot of people here, we, we believe in this vision wholeheartedly. I believe God's called us to this place. I believe God is doing a work in us and I believe he has a call for us in this city, in this nation and in, in the nations. Because of that, we don't need your money. I don't need you to give to this house. I trust so much in God that I know he will provide the finances for this house. When we first, um, Jess and I first started leading, we, we were in a place where we, we needed more finances. We were in a struggling place, both us personally and the house was struggling financially. And I remember sitting and, and, and someone had said to me, why don't you preach on giving? And I said, I can't preach on giving because my heart is not in the right place. I need finances. So if I step on the pulpit and preach about giving, I'm going to be trying to manipulate people to give because I need finances. So I said to the guys, I will not and I cannot preach on finances until we step into a place of financial freedom and then I can preach from freedom and then I can give you freedom to then give back to what God has for us. We are now in a place of financial freedom. And it is phenomenal what God's doing. I'm going to show you next week 
Um, I'm, I split this into, as I wrote it, I wanted to preach one week. I split it into two. It could probably be ten, but we're going to settle it two. But next week, I'm going to show you our church finances. I'm going to show you where we've been spending, what we've been giving into, where we're at, what comes in, what goes out. Why? Because I think it's important that all of us as a family understand where we're sowing and how we're sowing. Everything that I'm going to preach this morning, I have implemented into our church finances. Everything that I'm going to ask of you to, to flip through the scriptures and begin to understand, I have taken the church through. Because I can't say to the people, hey, we must be a generous people, and then the church isn't a generous people. So everything that I preach on this morning, we have implemented into the church finances. We tithe. We sow seed. We give to those who are around us. We give to the needy. We give to the poor. We, we have a collection of people we're starting to, to, to grow, to give to, because God's called us to be a generous people. Not just one-to-one. I can't stand here and say, you must be generous, but then the house isn't generous. So everything that we do here, uh, we are walking through. All of our accounts are set up in a way that we give. We tithe, we sow, we build. If you've been upstairs in the last week, you will have noticed we've done a phenomenal upgrade up there. If you want to go and have a little peruse after, you can. There's a few people here painting. Painting is the worst job in the world. No questions about it. I don't need to paint ever again. <laughs> I'm sure I will do a lot more of it in my life, but it's just, it's a garbage job. Dan loves it, but it's a garbage <laughs> job. I'm sorry, bro. So we couldn't have been able to do that. We didn't go into any debt to do that. This church has zero debt, none. We operate from a place of green because I really truly believe that God has called us into something and he will continue to grow us into something more. So my first point, we don't need your money. But I want you to understand the principles of tithing, the principles of giving. There's four areas which I'm going to outlay over the next two weeks of living a life of giving and abundance and fruitfulness. The two words that we, don't, we can't really utter in the church is finances or money and prosperity. Because if you do, you're, you're uh, uh, an angry person chasing money or you're a prosperity gospelist. And I've spent a lot of time over the last two months hearing people's understandings of the prosperity gospel and trying to understand where, what Jesus is saying about prosperity. The Bible speaks about prosperity, that as a people we are to prosper. Can we take that too far? Yes. Can we make it all about that? Yes. And that's where I want to I speak about this morning, about how we actually manage the way, the, the way we we handle our finances. Bill Johnson says this, and I think, it's, I think it's fantastic. He said, when prosperity is the result of pursuing God, there will be no sorrow to it. But when prosperity is a result of chasing prosperity, it will always cost us. Always. If you look at, I did a Google search and I was going to put all the statistics in there and I scrapped it, but here we are. Now I don't have the statistics. But if you, if you look at um, lotto winners, when lotto winners win the lottery, it is fascinating to understand how long they keep that millions for. Fascinating. One couple lost it in a month. They won something like $42 million. Their, their marriage broke down. They lost the relationship with their kids. They, they lost all their family and they were bankrupt in a month. Why? Because they were chasing the prosperity of mammon. They were chasing money and it cost them everything. You look at, at 
um, some of the top businessmen in the world, some of the richest people we see don't have families. They live on their own because they sell everything else in order to gain this one thing. And then they get it to the end of it and they go, now what do I do with this? It's cost me everything. That's what Jesus was talking about when he was saying that it's easier for a poor person to enter, enter into the kingdom of God. Because they're not focused on that thing. They, they keep their eyes on something else. So when we see that verse and people go, see, we shouldn't have rich Christians. But how do you match that then with the other verses that say that God's going to call us into prosperity? He's going to call us into more and to more. So we have to start to understand that when we sow into something, we will reap from something. All throughout the scriptures, there's a... I explained this during the vision. I can't remember what week it was, but everything in the kingdom of God is transactional. There's a give and a take. It's like a marriage. That's why Jesus shows it to a marriage. There's a give and a take. And I've said this before, that our job is not to determine what God will give us. It's our job to give unto him. But because of who he is and the love that he has, he gives back unto us. I use the expression with, with my wife that when, when Jess and I buy presents for each other, it's not my job to choose how much she blesses me. It's my job just to pour out onto her. Okay, so everything I'm going to explain through this is transactional. But it's never our job to give to God because he's going to give back to us. I want to I crush that thing. I, I, I've heard so many times this this sermon and, and, and people preaching that I should hold up my money that I'm going to give God. There's nothing in this but moths, but when I hold up my wallet, my money that I have, and I give this to God, I declare what he's going to return to me. We just don't see that in the scriptures. There is a return on our giving. And I'm going to explain the return, but we don't get to decide that. So when I give to God, God, I'm giving you this. I'm giving you my finances. No strings attached. It's yours. Then I step back and he does with that as he pleases. Now, because he's a good father, he pours out on me. That's the principle. That's the heavenly principle that we, that we work out. I don't get to say, this is new tires on my car. God, I'm going to sow this to you and you're going to sow me new tires. It doesn't work like that. God is not a magic genie. I don't get to say to my wife, here's a, here's a bunch of flowers. Now that's going to be a new PlayStation. I don't get to do that with my wife. It doesn't matter if I go value for value. It doesn't matter if I say, here's a new Mac makeup kit. That's going to be a, a PlayStation to me. That's not how we see a relationship. Does that make sense? So when I, when I explain, because the Bible is clear as we go through, that in our giving, there is, a, there is a return on each one of our givings. And we have to understand what each one of them means, because then we see what we're doing by actually operating in who God is. Mammon is the spirit of money, and it rules people's lives. What Brad prayed is, is incredible, because we've been speaking, we, we, we spoke through our um, series on Ephesians. Ephesians, it was. Our series on Ephesians, we spoke about the spiritual dimension what spirits are over things. That thing that we go to work for, nine to five, has a spirit over it. It can rule your life. It can rule your every decision. We wake up in the morning. I find it hilarious, and I'm not having a stab. I'm just making a point. 
I'm making a point. That we will get to, to church late because it doesn't matter, but we'll very rarely be late to our job because it matters. We'll very, very rarely be there late because you start thinking, well, if I'm late a couple of times, I'm in trouble with the boss, which means he might tighten my, my coins that come in or I might lose my job. It's important to us. Now, again, I'm not having a stab to say get to church on time. I'm just using that as a picture. We value, and so we should, because money, I've heard someone say, money's not what makes the world go round. The world we live in is operated by finances. Everything we do is driven by finances. And you don't fully understand that until you don't have very much. And then you start realizing, oh my goodness, everything costs something. Everything we do costs something. If that spirit has a hold of your life, it will make sure you struggle in every area. And I think in some, some instances, I, I look at people and I go, they're making the most ridiculous decisions, yet money comes to them more and more and more. They make more silly decisions because the Spirit doesn't care that they're rich. It doesn't help them. It, it, it doesn't, it, just keeping this person in bondage. That's why Jesus says, give everything away to the rich young ruler. Give it all away. Why? Because he should have been broken? No, because he was challenging that spirit that had a hold of his life to carry those rich things in. Proverbs says that wisdom is to be pursued instead of wealth. And then another later version, I didn't, again, I need to recheck my notes because I didn't put the, where it is in Proverbs. But it says that wisdom is to be pursued instead of wealth. But then later on in Proverbs it says, those who pursue wisdom will be wealthy. Why? Because the wisdom of God, operating from a, a wisdom from above, allows us to step everywhere we need to step, whether we have finances or not. There's been things in, you know, I was talking with Graham at, at home group, and he was saying that he and Mary have talked about stuff in their life that they've needed, like, uh, do you mind if I tell that story about the bike? He, they, they needed a, a, a cycling bike, and they were praying to God and saying, you know, we just love a cycling bike. Graham goes for a drive to... to um, do something down the road, go to the bank or something, or drop his car off. And on the side of the road, a guy was throwing out a cycling bike. Perfectly good. They took it home, plugged it in, it all worked. That's the way the kingdom operates, is that God can do things in your life without the financial stability that the world needs. However, when we position ourselves where we don't need to live from miracle to miracle, and we're living in the fullness of who God is, that wisdom allows us to actually live in His covenant. Live with Him. Fullness. And then the, the thing we faith for, which I'm going to speak about next week, is that we actually get to step out into faith to see more come in so that we can give more away. I can, but I, don't, I shouldn't have said that because I'm going to do that next week for you. <laughs> come next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little teaser. Yeah, if someone... Oh, no. <laughs> Just grab a, grab a photo of me and I'll, uh, and I'll put it up on my thing. I'll put it up on my thing. Yes, Shawnee, I will. I'm going to. Because it's, it's such an imperative um, thing that as Christians we've been lost in, is that we live from miracle to miracle to miracle. But... Uh, just as we've seen um, uh, the, the, the Israelites come out of Egypt, that was important for a season, but then they came into something more. So I am going to explain that. Okay, if you have a uh, two things.
major things that we see about tithe. I'm going to start with the first point of giving that we see in the scriptures. There's four. And the first one I'm going to, I'm going to speak about this morning is tithe. There's two major things we see that people will argue against tithe. The one is that it was an, uh, a foundation in the law and we're no longer under the law. Therefore, we, 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 we don't need to tithe anymore. And the second one that we see quite often as well is that, yes, they tithed, but they tithed with fruit. They tithed with farm goods. Therefore, we don't have to, because it wasn't about money, it was about farm goods. You would be amazed how many times I saw that come across in different denominations and different people preaching something. And I was like, man, do I really have to talk about that? Is that a point that I really have to cover? But yes, I think it is a point I need to cover. So if you've got a Bible, go with me to Genesis 14, 17. Genesis 14, 17. I'm not going to spend long on this. I'm going to, I'm going to quickly do this and then I'm going to move on. So if, if you don't pick this up, then we can, we can chat about it after. After his return, Genesis 14, verse 17, after his return from the defeat of Tralalamama and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveah, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salaam, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and he said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The interesting thing here is that Melchizedek says to Abram, God gave you the enemies. He delivered them into your hands. He gave you the victory. Now, that's quite an interesting thing. Amram doesn't, doesn't bat an eyelid. He's just been at war. He's just battled all these people. Then, then the, the, the head priest, Melchizedek, who was a picture of Jesus, he comes to him and he says, you didn't actually win the battle. It was God who won the battle. And he says, okay, I'll give him a tenth of everything we took. Right off that bat, Right off the bat, Abram realizes it wasn't me who did all the work. It was God who put those things in my possessions. Therefore, God, I will give you what was already yours. That's the picture. That's pre-law. We, we don't see the law until after that. Therefore, our giving, our tithe isn't caught up in the law. It was a spiritual principle given unto Abram to say, God, everything you've given me, I'll give back to you everything that you have it wasn't something that they said you must do now it was a principle that was sown into the israelite people they understood the goodness of returning to god what was god's that's point number one covered we don't need to talk about that again it wasn't an old law thing point number two they only used fruit who here is a farmer no farmers in the house none who goes down who, who has an iphone any iPhones? We got a couple of iPhones. Did you buy your iPhone with farmed goods? No. You didn't purchase it with two chickens, a bunch of tomatoes, and a cow. No. Because the system of our world today is dollars and cents. The system of their world, when this was all understood and formulated, yes, they had gold and silver, but those who had that were very far in between. They traded in what they had, the trade of their father. They traded in the goods that was given to them in the way they outworked their land. That's the same as us today. If you are a farmer who trades predominantly in fruit 
and cows, then you may go into Apple and say, I'll give you two sheep and a cow for the iPhone 10. But unless that happens, that's not the way that we see tithing. It's a financial dollars and cents because that's the economic understanding of our contemporary day. Does that make sense? It's about dollars and cents. Yes, don't bring your, your tomatoes and your things in because it's what you trade. It's what God gives to you and it's what sustains you throughout your life. Okay, point number two, sorted. Tick it off the list. Okay, the tithe. The tithe or the Hebrew word 6235 also means a tenth. The word tithe, the very um, understanding of the Hebrew word just means a tenth. We've now made it a a fancy word. Um, We've made it look like it's a special thing and tithe only. It just meant a tenth. It meant a tenth of the trade you had in your house. So I'm going to show next week um, because... I tried to do it on PowerPoint while my wife was away and it was awful and I need to send it to her to make it more fancy um, because I couldn't quite get across my point without it being fancy. So next week I'm going to show you a, a PowerPoint. But they would, they would farm their land, right? So they would have a square block of land and, and on that there would be their produce. Now they would take a tenth of that produce. It was always the first tenth of the produce. The reason that was the case was because they didn't wait to see what harvest they got and then give off that. They were in a position to say to God, everything you've given me, this land is going to be bountiful. And because of that, I'm going to give you a 10%. They didn't wait to see if the land was bountiful. They gave saying to God, I trust you in everything that you are. I trust you in the fullness of who you are. And because I trust you, I know this land is going to be bountiful. So I'll give you the 10%. I think we see nowadays, and I know that I certainly did this as a kid um, and when I was growing up, because I, I, I wanted to tithe and I, I, I wanted to do the right thing. I didn't really understand why, but I wanted to do that. So I'd buy all my things and I'd pay all my bills and then whatever I had left over, I'd tenth that. Oh, that's pretty good. It's a tenth. doesn't matter. One way or another, I'm given 10%. 10% is something that comes in. But the position that we have to understand is that it's not just a God wants me to do this and I'll be a good boy. It was God, I trust you. I trust you so much, so wholeheartedly that this wage that you've put in my account is going to be a good harvest. I'm going to be able to use it for everything that I need. I trust you. So here's 10%. Here's your 10%. And it was called the tithe. If you've got a a Bible, go to Malachi 3. Verse 3. Malachi uh, 3, verse 8 to 11. They understood the tithe in this manner. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions... You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. 
and your vine in the fields shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. There's three things that I think highlight and I want to I highlight this morning. There's three major things in this. The first is quite, quite sobersome. Who would rob me? That when we withhold our tithes, it was something that God has given to us. So if we, if we withhold it, we're actually stealing from him. That's a, quite a brutal thing to think about. And this thing, it jumped off the page at me. I've given you something, my son, and you've withheld what was mine from me. The Jewish people understood stealing in two ways. That you would go in and you would, you would take something that wasn't yours. You would loot something that wasn't yours. And the other way they understood stealing was if you owed somebody something that was theirs and you didn't give it to them. It was a twofold understanding of stealing. You didn't give what wasn't, what wasn't yours or somebody else's. That principle is what the scriptures are saying that when we do that to God, we're withholding what he has for us. That's the first thing, that we are stealing from he who has given freely to us. The second thing we see, which is quite fascinating. Oh, sorry, we, we, we actually saw that. We saw that with, with Abram and Melchizedek, like I explained before. That Melchizedek says to Abram, because God has given it to you. God has given those enemies to you. And he says, I'll give you, God, I'll give you what's yours, 10%. He understood that it was God who brought the enemies into his hand. We must understand that it's God who's given you the finances you have. That job you have that you're operating in, God's positioned you in that place. If we truly believe he is who he says he is, that he, he, he walks with us, that we can lean on him, we'll pray, God, I need a job. And then we get one and we go, look what I've earned. God, I need a job real bad. I need an increase in my finances. Look what I've earned. But God says, I got you that job. I poured those finances out in your life. I positioned you in a place to steward that finances. We must take the stance that Abram took, that Abraham took, and he said, God, here's yours back. The second thing that we see is that it goes into the storehouse. It says that the finances that you give into the storehouse, they put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. I will open, uh, sorry, you curse the curse from me. The whole nation, you bring the full tithe, the full tithe, the full 10% into the storehouse. We have a lot of people, I've had a lot of people say to me, hey, I, um, I decided that I was going to buy the church this thing and this will be my tithe. That's not what God's asking for. God's saying, bring it into the storehouse so that my house may have food. I can't buy food with a music stand or a new guitar amp or a new kid gate. I can't do that. That's why God says, bring the 10% into the storehouse so that my house may have food. So that those who are in the house called by me will, will provision those finances and I'll deal with them as to how it's to be spent into that house. Talking just about the tithe. Please, I'm only on point uno umero, number one, tithe, 10%. Comes into the house. I've had people say to me, well, yeah, but bro, we, why? It doesn't say in the Bible that we should give it to a church. No, it doesn't say you should give it to a church. It says you should give it to the storehouse 
So you have to understand what's the storehouse. That's why I'm so forward about saying to guys, if this isn't your home, please don't give your tithe here. Because this is not your storehouse. God's not using this place to bring you into more of who he is. It's not your storehouse. You have another storehouse. Now, if you want to give in one of the other three forms of giving that I'm going to explain, by all means. But the 10% goes to your storehouse. My dad was always, old P-Rad was always forward about this. He'd say, we'd be in a church and they'd pass the basket around. I remember this as a kid um, uh, in a church, quite a big church. And my dad was there with his arms folded. And they bought the uh, tithe basket around and he just shook his head. I said, Dad, you're not going to give? He goes, you give where you're fed. And that was it. It was like Dad's one word of wisdom. You give, you give where you're fed. But what he was expressing was the fact that this isn't my storehouse. This is not where I give my tithe because I tithe unto a storehouse. This is where people say, well, I don't go to church, so I just give my tithe to, to the poor and the needy, which I'm going to explain why that's so different. Because it's a different, which, I, which is the next point, it's a different type of giving. But the interesting thing is that if you don't have a storehouse, you can't give unto a storehouse. It's where you are being fed. That's your storehouse. For you guys who have said, hey, Ben, we, we believe in what God's doing in you and Jess. We believe in this house. We believe in the vision. We want to call this place home. This is your storehouse. This is where you give that 10%, bring the fullness into my house. The final thing that we see that, that is absolutely mind-boggling, if I haven't already said that, is that it says, test the Lord your God. Test me. And watch what I'll do with your obedience. Son, daughter, test me. If you give your tithe, test me. And he says this, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That's important. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Our 10% tithe keeps the window to heaven open. It keeps a connection between us and God at all times where we say, God, I trust you so much. Please leave that window open. And the fascinating thing in this is it says that I will pour blessings down upon you until there is no more need. You don't get the Ferrari in your tithe. You get the covering of your need. The bread to sustain you comes from an open heaven between God where God says I will not allow the devourer to ruin your crop so that you will have a bountiful crop but you have to keep the window open you see we sometimes we we get in a place of struggle we lock ourselves up and then we say but why isn't God moving why am I keep getting battered and beat why why is it that I've got no money and I've got more bills than I've ever seen in my entire life I want to put it to you that, that maybe, just maybe, you've closed the window to heaven. And you've said, hey, God, I can't afford this anymore. I don't trust you with my finances. And you've withheld something from him. Why is this such an important sermon? Because it doesn't matter to the house. God will bring that money in some other way. 
it matters for you and for me because the moment that I withhold my tithe, I close the window and I say, God, I don't trust you with my finances. But then he can't outpour onto you to see that your bread is given, that you're maintained and that your crop will be bountiful. You see, we, we've had churches that have said, you get people to tithe and they send me all kinds of emails all the time on this this even Elvanto thing about how to get people to give more because then we'll increase our giving. It's not about the house. It's never been about the house. Like I read to you in Malachi, if, if, the, if the vision is true, it will speak of itself. If the vision is from God, it will show its truth as it outworks. I know I have so much comfort and so much joy in the fact that God will build this house. He will give to this house financially. But for us, it's a principle we cannot forego. We cannot let it go. Because the moment we, we cease it, the moment we take away from it, the heaven closes and now our crop becomes open to the devourer. That's, what we, that's, the, um, that's the transaction that gets made with God in our tithe. The heaven remains open and the devourer will be rebuked. Yes. 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 That's great. Yes. Yes, that's great. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So he, the, the pouring out is the wisdom of God, which is how we manage to step, which is also how we manage to see that crop fulfilled. Is that as, as business people, as, as just general workers, there's a wisdom to operating in finances. Understanding where God's calling us, where he's leading us. You, the, the other thing that's frustrating in this is that guys will sit on their hands and then say, well, I'm waiting for God to pour something out, the money out for me. I'm not going to work. I'm going to sit on my hands because God said he'll pour out on me. But the wisdom at times is that business idea. The wisdom at times is how to operate a job interview. The wisdom at times is to cut your beard and get cleaned up and, and put a suit on and, and go into that interview. The wisdom at times is understanding how to operate in this world to receive an income for the bread that you'll continue to eat. Does that make sense? So we have to understand that, it's the, that the wisdom of God, like Brad's explaining, is poured out, but sometimes he wants you to do something. He doesn't want, he's not just going to give you a $1,000 check each week. We have to actually get out and use what God's given us to see the fullness of the harvest come in. That's good. I'm going to, I'm going to skip down because it seems like it's, it's where we are. I'm going to read one more verse for us in the New Testament. Luke 16, 10, verse 13, if you want to flip there. Luke 16, 10, verse 13. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. If then you have not been faithful in, un, in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? If you have not been faithful in that which is another's. 
This is, a, this is Jesus going back to that verse in Malachi. And he's saying, if you haven't been faithful in that which was never yours to begin with, how can I give you that which is truly yours? You can't handle the money that's not yours. How can I trust you with the money that I have for you? When we were in, when we were in Adelaide, Kevin Zadai said something very interesting. He said that he... He was a guy who, who believes that he, he died and, and he went to heaven and he has stories of when he was in heaven. And, and he said this, he said, while I was in heaven, I saw a, a ton of checks in heaven. And I said, he, he asked Jesus what they were. And he said, that's the money of the unrighteous that I'm waiting to give to those who can handle it. And I was sitting there and I was like, whoa, that's what it says in the scriptures. Right, that there's money stacked up from the unrighteous to be given to the righteous. But the thing is, is that this verse in Luke says that you guys aren't ready to handle it because you can't even handle the money that's not yours, let alone the money that is yours. So when we go back to this basic principle and we go, okay, God, you've got money stored up there for me. I want to steward the money you've already given me that's yours well. How do I do that? This is the place to start. Here it is, God. Here's your 10%. Can I tell you, it's not about money. God doesn't need money. It's got nothing to do with money. But the money is the thing that we trust more than anything. Where our food comes from is one of the things we trust more than anything. So it's got nothing to do with the dollar bills. God doesn't need the dollar bills. He wants your heart to say, God, you're worth it. Here it is. God, I trust you. Here it is. That's what it comes down to. It doesn't matter about the money. It matters about your heart to say, God, I will do this for you. Just like Abraham. I believe God was never, ever going to sacrifice Isaac. But he wanted to see Abraham's heart. Would you? If I asked, would you? And he says, yeah, I'll do it. What do you want from me? Take your boy. Walk him to the top of the hill and be ready to sacrifice him. Abraham's heart expressed, God, it's all for you. That's what this is. I don't need your money, but would you, son, daughter, would you steward what I've given you well so that more can be given to you, so that more can be poured out for you? Would you do this? Absolutely. Absolutely, because then God said, I'll do it for you. And he sent his son. I'm not going to skip down. I'm going to, I'm going to stay where we are. Does this, is, does this make sense? Does everyone understand the principle of the 10%? Now, I wasn't going to do this, but I am going to because I think it's important. Please hear my heart in this. I am not trying to position this so that you guys come and give me money. That's not what I want. What I want to do is I want to present you a biblical principle so that you can Go to God and say, what do I do with this? Is this of you? And if it is, please show me how I steward it. Because the thing about the law is that they were compelled to operate from something. They were compelled to fulfill it. But the thing about the grace of God is that freely we get to operate how God asks us to operate. Freely. That's why I've always said to people, Hey, if this weirds you out, if giving money, putting money in a basket upsets you, just don't do it. 
Just don't do it. And I say that, I'll say that to every church I ever speak in. Please, just don't. Rather, it's actually better that you give out of a joyful heart. It's actually better that you just don't give if you're not going to give out of a joyful heart. Just rather keep it, because I don't need it. The church doesn't need it. God will give it to us where we need it. But another story that Kevin said, he stood up and Paul, at Paul's church, he had done this great um, spiel about how, why we sow and to give to Kevin. And this guy stands up as people are about to bring money to him. And he says this, he says, hey, guys, just for the record, I'm a multi-billionaire, millionaire, M, multi-millionaire. I'm a multi-millionaire. And he says, and God's given me every cent I've ever, I've ever gotten. To the point that God showed him how to, where to put his money in stocks. Phenomenal story. But he said, I'm a multi-millionaire. I do not need what you're going to bring for this basket. I don't. In actual fact, I'm going to take it in and God's already shown me where to give it. So I'm going to sow it straight back out. He said, but I don't need it. So if this upsets you, please don't bring any money. Man, people bought so much. They gave so much to this man. And they only did it twice over the five days we were there. And twice people poured into him. And I was sitting at dinner, I said, man, that's phenomenal that you explained you're a multimillionaire. You didn't hide the fact. And he said, because it's not about me. And it's not about the money. It's about the principle of stepping into the stewardship of God's finances and watching what he opens up. This man gives away millions a year. Millions. He was the most humble, beautiful guy. He said, I just want to do what God does. If he tells me to give this guy a million, I give the guy a million. And then the next day, he'll tell me to take all my money and he'll put it here. So I'll do it. And then I'll triple what I put in there. So I'll pull it out because he says pull it out to the point that he was about to get on an airplane before the, uh, the, the GFC, the global financial crisis. He was about to get on an airplane as in he was the last person. He waits to the very last person till they call his name. Then he goes and gets in the plane so he doesn't have to wait. He was sitting. They were calling his name. He stood up and he got his bag and God said to him, take your money out now. He said, I stopped right there his wife was hustling to get on the plane they were about to miss the plane he said take your money out now so he sat back down he whipped his laptop out got wi-fi they were they said sir we, we need you to come now he says please i must just do this quickly went onto his site removed all of his money while they were on the airplane the global financial crisis hit when he landed the whole thing crashed he would have lost all of his money there's a, if you go and look at it in the business thing, there was a spike in, the, in, the, um, in the, the financial market between the first crash and there was another crash and there was a spike between it. God said, take all your money, put it back in. He said, God, the system is like broken. He said, put your money back in. So he took all his money and he put it back in. He said, okay, it must be ready to rise again. Two days later, God said, take all your money out again. And he's like, God, what are we doing here? What are we doing? He quadrupled his investment in the spike because when it crashed so hard, everyone thought, well, it's going to pick back up. So they flooded the market again and it peaked. And he, he, at the top of the peak, God said, take your money out. So he took his money out. This guy made millions. When he came back, he was a, he was a pilot. When he came back, you know what God told him to do? Go on an airplane and be a, uh, a hostess. I don't know what you call a male one. A steward. Go and be a steward. Serve Cokes. He said, God, I'm a pilot. I can fly the plane. He said, go and serve Cokes. 
something like 12 years, this guy served Cokes. At the end of the 12 years, he made such a rapport with the guy who owned the airline company that he offered him shares. He bought, he bought shares in a um, West Air, Air West Air, Air West Air something, some fancy American. He made millions. Southwest, Southwest Air. He made millions. Why? Because he said, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. Where do you want me to give? I want you to give your time. I want you to give everything and not fly the plane. He, he was praying demons out of people on the plane. Getting people saved in the, in, the, in the back of the plane. Serving Cokes when he could have been flying the plane. And no one knows who this guy is. He's a very under, under the radar guy. He says, I just want to know what God wants from me. He trusts and he understands this principle. He understands what God is doing in this. Why did I go there? Because I was telling you not to want to give me money. That's not what I'm about to express. I want to show one more point. If you can give me five more minutes. Bye, Timothy. I love you. Sorry, that's Timmy. He has to go to work. He's, we'll see you on the Gold Coast when you move here. We'll see you on the Gold Coast when you move here. Nehemiah, if you go to Nehemiah for me, verse 10, I'm, the last point I'm going to make, five more minutes and then we're going to be done. We've heard this principle expressed hundreds of times called the first fruit offering. The first fruit offering is not your tithe. Your tithe is 10%. 10% of the land that was given is your tithe. The way they would have their crop is they would have a, a square crop or whatever the, the land is that they had. And the first thing they would do once the crop was ready to be harvested was, pardon me, off the four corners, they would take a total of 2.5% off the edge of their crop. And they would give that 2.5% to the priest of which they, the house they were in. They would then go to the crop and they would take a further 10% off the entirety of the crop, including that 2.5%. They would take a 10% off that. And they would take that and they would give that to the Levites or the, the house, the storehouse they were in. And they would operate from that place. So it says here in Nehemiah 10 verse 37, Bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring, and to, bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns that we labor. Now, the thing that they understood, this terumah, this heave offering or the first fruits offering, is that the, the, the offering was, was unto the revelation of the priest. They would bring it so that, so that the revelation the priest would bring in, God would increase that revelation. And they also brought it as a place of honor to the person that they were, who was stewarding the call of God for them. The problem with this teaching, the thing that we see twisted and distorted, and it, it truly does upset me because I, I watch what, I've watched what people have done with this and it's wrong. But guys will preach this to say, to be blessed, you must come and bring to me, the leader of the house, money or God won't bless you. 
That's not right. That's not what this is about. That's not how this operates. Guys will also stand and say that, you know, show me the areas of your life and I'll show you where you're lacking. Well, you're not bringing something to me. You're only bringing a little bit that you're giving somewhere else. So bring to me and then God will bless you in this or God will reveal the revelation to you in this. That's not what they did in this. They understood that the first part, a tiny part of their crop was given unto the priest because the priest wasn't living the life that they could live based on the fact that he didn't have any crops. He, didn't, he wasn't out in the field making a crop and being able to get a big bounty. So it was an honor to the priest in that house to say, because you can't be out here, we will give to you. It wasn't their tithe. It wasn't 10%. It was 2.5%. The first cut off the edge of their crop. I'm gonna, again, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to show you a, a picture next week that will look fancy and nice and you'll be able to make sense of it. But they gave 12.5% of their initial crop. This was two of four ways they gave. They gave this blessing and we see it in the New Testament in the way that that Timothy explains that we should honour those, that the elders who rule be well be considered worthy of double honour, especially to those labouring and preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the labourer deserves his wages. Now, I want to explain something to you a little differently as well, is that the priests in these temples didn't quite get the wages we see some of the multi-mega churches in our days getting. They weren't on 250K a year and then getting excess on the side of that. They were on the bread that they needed, but this 2.5% was seen as the seed that they could then have to sow and bless others. So as I'm going to explain tomorrow, which is another part of giving, is our seed and offering, not tomorrow, because you guys will all be at work, next Sunday, um, they, they couldn't give any seed to sow because they didn't have any seed to sow. They weren't able to go and work to gather seed in order to sow to see the 30, 60, 100 fold. The only place we see 30, 60, 100 fold increase, which is what we all express, is in the seed offering. The priests couldn't do that because they didn't have anything to sow. So the 2.5% that was given unto them was an honor giving to say, because you can't, here is my first part of my crop. And then to the Levites, to the storehouse, here's my 10%. Does that make sense? Is anyone upset? Good. <laughs> the reason that I, 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 I really labored on this, I said, God, do I teach this? Do I teach this? And I, I got to a place where I realized, you know, it's, it, it's not about me. I want to give you the tools to say, God, is this something that's of you? If it is, then please grow it in my heart. Let me see it. Let me understand it. I want to say this again. I'm, I'm finishing now, I promise. I want to say this again. I don't need your money. I don't need it. I have faith that God will bless me and Jess, that God will bless this house, 
that God will do with this place as he said he will do. I truly believe that. But the principle of giving is something that we can't live without. Jess and I have really been challenged in this, really been challenged in this. And we've said, how do we operate from this place? So we've shifted the way we live our lives so that we can operate from this as well. How do we give? I struggled when I first started taking a wage from the church. Do I tithe on, on a wage that God's already giving me? It seems ridiculous that the church sends me money and then I send it back. So for the first little while, I didn't. And God challenged me on that. He said, my son, it doesn't matter. It, it's got nothing to do with the, the bank account that you send it to. It's got nothing to do with the money. It's the principle of allowing me to rule and reign in your finances and in your life. And I promise you, that this is a principle I've seen time and time again change people's lives, but also break people down. I've watched, I've seen amazing things in our life as well. I remember, I'll just tell a quick story. I was a uni student and um, Brad had, was going on a trip, the first trip to, to India and Sri Lanka that I could have ever gone on. And I was broke, as broke as a button. I probably didn't have a button. I was very broke. And I said, I felt God say to me, you, you must go. So I came to Brad, I said, hey, bro, I feel God's told me to go. I want to go. But I can't go because I have no money. And he said, he said to me, do you trust that God will provide for you? And I was like, yeah. And then I went away and I was like, oh, maybe I don't. <laughs> I said yes, but did I really think it was a yes? And that, 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 I found that I know I didn't trust him. Because when, when Brad called me to say, hey, someone just paid for your ticket, I was a mess. And I said to him, I don't know that I can receive this. I don't know that I can take this. And I remembered something my dad said to me. He was in, in, in Malaysia. We were on a, a mission trip in Malaysia. And there was about 20 of us. And there was this game we played at every restaurant that someone would sneak to the cashier and pay the table. Right? And my dad was always too slow. So for the first like eight meals, dad couldn't pay for the meal. And he, he was cranky and he went to the church leader at the time. He said, Mike, I want to pay for my family's meals and people keep paying for it. And Mike said to him with a serious look on his face, he said, who are you to take away the principle of giving from the person who's trying to give to you? dad like a kick in the pants walked away and went oh <laughs> yes sir but he, he he was challenged that time as i was somebody is trying to operate in what god's telling them to do if i refuse that i actually cut off what they're trying to do with god a conversation they're having with god we have to understand these principles i've told you two tithe and the first fruit giving i'm going to do the next two next week and then I'm going to show us our, our accounts. This isn't awkward for me. I just, I want us to understand the principle because it's the principle that God's given us that will change our life. Is that okay? Yeah. 